listening to the Sacred Ordinary Days podcast. I'm Jen Giles Kemper, and you can find me at sacredordinarydays.com. I'm Lacey Clark Elman of asacredjourney.net. For season one, we're journeying together through the liturgical year. So grab a cup of tea or coffee and join us at the table. Welcome to our latest episode of the Sacred Ordinary Days podcast. We are going to talk about Lent, continue our conversation in the practice of almsgiving today. And we've got a lot for you. So instead of doing our traditional check-in, we want to get started. Um, But remember that our conversations on Lent and the practices of fasting and prayer, which we covered in the last two episodes, continue in the Sacred Ordinary Days Tribe Facebook group. And we'd love to see you there. Absolutely. And one quick check-in is that we had our first guest appearance on another podcast, which was really fun. Um, Lisa DeLay of Spark My Muse podcast had us on her show, and you can find us on episode 51, which you can find at sparkmymuse.com. That was really neat. Thanks so much for having us, Lisa. Um, it was fun to do that with you too, Lacey. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was. It, we even had a bit of a different conversation there than we had um here so far on the podcast, so I definitely we suggest did, checking it but out. It, it fits in the same theme, so if you like the conversations that we have definitely. here, I, I feel confident that you'll um, enjoy that episode of Spark My Muse. Even Absolutely. more. Yep. So we, um, we've got some news about the retreat. So May 27th and 28th in Waco, Texas, and um, as we've been preparing for the retreat, some spiritual practices are really going to be at the heart of that time together as well as meals around the table. And so we are going to be hosting two webinars together, Lacey and I, one during Holy Week on Tuesday, March 22nd at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, and that makes it 5.30 p.m. Pacific. And then one the following week, which is the first week of Easter, on Tuesday, March 29th at 12.30 Eastern time, and that makes it 9.30 a.m. Pacific. So one evening and one morning time for you. I know that for a lot of ministers, Holy Week is particularly busy. And um, so (laughs) you guys might be coming down from a whirlwind during the first week of Easter, maybe even taking some time off, and you'll be ready for a pause. Others of you are looking to um, go deeper into your experience of Holy Week. And so um, sharing the practice of the examine together might be a perfect fit for you. We talked about the examine more in episode five, which was on ordinary time and discernment. Lacey led us in a practice together at the end of that episode. And, and we'll be walking through this together in our webinar. We'll also be sharing more in depth about the retreat, showing pictures of our location and our unique solution for lodging and meals which is completely unlike any other retreat or conference or workshop that I've ever been to. Uh, We want it to feel like a retreat, but we were having a tough time finding just the right fit. So we'll share all those details. And as a bonus, it also is a cost-effective solution if money has been what is holding you back. Speaking of money, we'll also be offering a scholarship for a participant or two to help you further, which we'll be talking about more in the webinar. So If any of that sounds interesting, and we really, really hope you'll join us, it'll be fun to get some live interaction, and of course, you'll get to see our faces. Um, You can register for those through links in our newsletters, which you can sign up for at sacredordinarydays.com and sacredjourney.net. So, Lacey, get us started with this fourth week of Lent. Yes, we've uh, started each episode 
with a Lint recap, telling you a bit about the season. And so we're not going to go in as deep today with that. You can listen to our first two episodes on the season of Lint to learn more. But yes, we are in the fourth full week of Lint, so really about in the middle. It began on Ash Wednesday on February 10th, and it's lasting through Holy Saturday. That's the day before Easter on March 26th. And between now and our next episode, which will be on Holy Week, on the Wednesday of that week, will be Palm Sunday, which is exactly a week before Easter and marks the triumphal entry of Christ into Jerusalem. So I'm really looking forward to talking about that with you all and um, really journeying step by step through those final days together as we prepare for Easter and resurrection in many ways. The season of Lent is 40 days long, and as we've been talking about, really centers on three practices, fasting, which was in our first episode on the season, prayer, which we talked about last time, and then today we're going to talk about almsgiving. And almsgiving is an ancient word, not something we throw around day to day here, but it's giving money or food to those in need. And we're going to talk about it today, not just even giving money, as we might typically think, but ways we can give of ourselves, our resources, our time, etc. And we just want to start with a biblical foundation here to show us that this is God's desire for us to, to give. In Deuteronomy 15.11, it says, Open your hand to the poor and needy neighbor in your land. And Pope Francis also, in his Ash Wednesday homily, this past season, quoted St. Augustine, who described fasting and almsgiving as the two wings of prayer because they're signs of humility and charity. Just this morning, I was reading in a book that is our book club pick over at A Sacred Journey, where Jesus prayed by Danielle Schroyer, and she's writing about her journey to the Holy Land and praying the Lord's Prayer through that time. And she also said something about the Beatitudes that I really wanted to share today, especially Um, to help us think about this work of giving as kingdom work. Um, Oftentimes we might think of evangelism as kingdom work, et cetera, or even deepening our own spiritual journey. But she highlighted that here with the Beatitudes, we can see um, this is Jesus expressing what the kingdom of God looks like. And so through the act of giving, through seeing and through noticing those in need, we are noticing and naming and revealing the kingdom of God. So I'd like to read those Beatitudes to you as we begin our conversation together on what giving means for us. This is from Matthew 5, 3 through 11. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So as I said before, I feel like as you listen to those words, and you might want to read them again later and reflect on them as you consider how you might give, that this shows us that giving action is kingdom work. And the act of giving is a practice of noticing and revealing the kingdom of God. 
So Jin, what models of giving have you witnessed throughout your life? And how has your own practice grown and changed? Growing up, I watched my parents give their time and energy so, so, so generously. They also gave their money generously, but that was done more privately. It wasn't something that they did for other people to see them. As a result, we've had a number of conversations even now as an adult um, with them. And yeah, I appreciate I appreciate that about them. Um, we also were on the receiving end of so, so much generosity. Um, as, as my dad finished seminary and we moved to Savannah, Georgia, and then as we moved and he um, started working with the church in Thomaston, Georgia, on both occasions, a member of the church let our family live with them for like that month interim period between living there and our house being closed on so that we could mm-hmm. move in. And at the time that seemed normal. And now I realize what an incredible gift that was. And both of the women um, and families who let us stay with them were hugely formative for me. What about you? Well, I it's interesting to hear you talk about um, really recognizing more. So time and energy given um, and that money wasn't talked about as much because I think that was when I think of offering um, an almsgiving, I grew up thinking mm-hmm. of money, of tithing, of that, you know, traditional 10%. I think uh, in the tradition I grew up in, we like to figure out what we were supposed to do in life. We like to do it. And so um, I even remember, I think after, I mean, I was baptized, and so I guess formally became a member of the church um, at a very young age, um, early on in elementary school. And I don't know if that's when the envelopes started oh, coming yeah, man. to me. With my name on when it or you not. Become, I don't know. Did you, yes, did you have you your envelope? you an official member of the church, then they send you a little box of your envelopes. And there's one for every Sunday. It's time to give. name printed on it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Which, yeah, Which was I, really, cool I really appreciate kid. that metaphor that as a member of the church, that giving is a part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's how, um, at a young age, that's how I thought of it. And you remember putting my envelope in, in the plate as it was passed. Um, but... Speaking of time and energy, growing up, my mother, and she still is, was very involved in what our um, small community calls its share year of Christmas. And so even all all of the churches, not just the church I grew up in, are involved in, uh, you know, where you'd pick an ornament off of a tree and it's a, a toy for mm-hmm. a kid that you bring or things like that. And so she always heads that up for our church's portion of that. And so I was able to see what it means to serve um, and to give and in ways beyond uh, finances. And this, and this is financial, but my family has always sponsored a child through mm-hmm. World Vision or supporting missionaries through particular offerings at my church as well. So it's not just giving us the plate is passed along, but also seeing the change that you're making through your gifts, which I felt was really mm-hmm. valuable. But something personally that stands out to me as a child, um, I was really young, I think, Second grade, I traveled to New York City, and third grade, I traveled to London. And those, I grew up in a small town, so I didn't encounter homeless people, um, at least that I knew of, ever. And so, that was when that was what has struck my heart and been a constant ever since. And um, seeing true need, especially, and I think what I remember most of all is that it wasn't just adults, but there was a mother and her mm-hmm. child there sitting in the in the underground begging for money and so that was a moment that changed me 
What about you as you grew a bit older, Jen? I remember when I first started making money for the first time, we didn't make money um, in our family. Like I didn't get an allowance or anything. Um, And so the first time I ever had money that was 100% mine to make a decision about, to put in my envelope (laughs) was when I started babysitting, which I started doing fairly Mm. young. Um, I really enjoyed it. And I don't know why people trusted me with their children, but you know, um, cause they could pay right? $5. That's probably that's true. <laughs> but I remember being so delighted, um, to have the opportunity to figure out what to do with that money. And, and I remember having lots of conversations yeah. really early yeah. on about like, is 10% enough or should I do more or mm. should I invest it and then do that? And so, um, it's something that I've thought a lot about for a long time and it's, it's neat to see those seeds mm. starting, you know, when I had a very small amount of money in my care and keeping, and I'm grateful for that. What about you? Kind of as a teenager, college student. We went um, in my youth group on mission trips. Uh-huh. It was definitely a rhythm um, in my life and, and, and in community. It, youth group was really important for my community, my friends. And so it was great to be able to serve alongside each other and to be have that modeled for us, have that framework to step into. Yeah, I think into. the part about having the framework to step into is helpful because, you know, so many families wouldn't know or plan a trip like that, but they'll go mm-hmm. with their children, yeah, yeah. Um, for example. And it, yeah, it gives you a, great, a framework to talk about it. What do you do now? Well, we, as I think we talked about it a bit, even during the season of Christmas, mm-hmm. when we were talking about St. Stephen's and the invitation to give there, what what we are working out as a, as a new family, how we want to give. And um, currently something we do is I, I sponsor a child, and that's something probably that happened because it was part of my rhythm growing up, and it's someone who shares my birthday, which is kind of a fun connection that's as neat. well. And I hope whenever I have kids to encourage them to, mm-hmm. to do that too. But supporting um, supporting that and then other missionaries that we know who whose work we really resonate with. And we've also um, started to... Set aside, you know, think you know, even if you were thinking strictly of the ten percent or not, just think of giving a little, a little differently. We are giving to our church, and we're also setting aside money where we can give to friends in times of need. Mm-hmm. We do that too, um, whenever that's necessary. And so, yeah, so that's been really um, life giving to to not think of it just as you get your paycheck and you put it in the envelope and you you pass it down the plate, but also um, to expand the ways we give financially, and then, of course, uh, time as well and, and energy and resources and, and, and gifts. Um, as I was talking about homelessness before um, in that first visit I had to, to the big city, Seattle actually has recently declared a state of emergency with wow. homelessness. And so that is something that, I mean, if I'm honest, it's easier internally to avoid it because I don't have to ask those questions. But these days it's not easy and so I'm you know every time I'm getting off the interstate leaving home going home walking downtown I'm always confronted uh with it and so Kyle and I have an understanding that we want to be generous in that way but we also keep talking about what what's the best way to give and we have a friend who works with homeless teens who has been really helpful in letting us know the best way to give and she says you know certainly certainly food is helpful funds can be helpful but even just just naming, just seeing someone, acknowledging them, naming them. We like to even introduce ourselves and ask them their name. Um, so that 
that's not necessarily always giving money, but giving um, honor has been a, a reframing of how we can give too, and stepping out of my comfort zone in order to bring someone else mm-hmm. comfort. Mm-hmm. What about you, Jen? Well, we've been having conversations in our family, um, especially as we've had a number of kind of urgent situations pop up with um, our community and the people in our lives. Um, we've been thinking a lot about the difference between, or, or maybe there's no difference, but um, stewardship that involves planning and saving and budgeting. Hmm. And so we yeah. have always, um, since before we were married individually and then since we were married, we've always set aside money for all the things that you mentioned, giving to our church, um, giving mm-hmm. to people that we know of and need, giving to other mission organizations. And, you know, we, we plan ahead of time to set aside money for that. Um, but there's something... You know, there's a lot of language around giving to a point of, of sacrifice. And mm. I have a hard time knowing what exactly that always needs to look and feel like because I think we build in sacrifice by budgeting and planning. Mm. But it doesn't yeah, feel like sacrifice day-to-day, week-to-week when we cut those checks, um, which on the one hand mm-hmm. makes it easier to give money and to not always feel like we're yeah. in a point of desperation, giving to someone in a point of desperation. Um, and at the same time, I don't have a lot of, I don't have a sense of sacrifice because we build it in in that way. Yeah. And so that's something that um, I'm kind of navigating my way through at the moment. The other thing about uh, generosity is that in college, I was taught to read generously. And that has been so helpful as more and more of my life feels like it's lived or documented on the internet. Um, yeah. What is that? What do you mean by that? Read you know, I think it's, it's really easy, especially in academia, you're taught to read critically. You're taught to read, um, mm. you know, to expect the author to prove their point beyond a shadow of a doubt or to, um, to take a defensive posture to make sure that you don't miss anything. Well, yeah, and you're always looking to get get, get, the, get the information, information put, put it, it down, down process of, it. Mm-hmm. And um, and also if you're writing a good paper, you're probably pushing up against some tension. And so you're looking for those yeah. opportunities, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I had several professors who were very, very mindful to also, and I think they even led with this, to teach us to read generously first um, and then to read critically second. Hmm. Um, and certainly reading critically is, is not bad. It's necessary. It's valuable. It has many mm-hmm. virtues. But, um, for example, I mean, there, <laughs> there are a number of people who are really snarky or cynical on social media. Um, what? isn't that surprising? <laughs> like that? <laughs> um, and really critical even, um, and mm-hmm. and it's so fast, especially like yes, with Twitter. It's so fast. One mm-hmm. statement and so fast moving. And, um, that makes me crazy. And at the same time, my being annoyed with or responding to that is feeding it. And so um, Hmm. being Mm -hmm. really formed to read generously is helpful. And also, I know you've referenced Danielle Laporte's Core Desired Feelings before in her book, The Desire Map. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I pretty quickly identified generosity as one of my core desired feelings, but I've thought long and hard about how I didn't 
it's not that just that I want to feel generous. I, I really want that to be true of me at a postural mm. level. And so I've tried yes, to build yeah. build things in um, mm-hmm. to make that possible. Well, and I feel like this is the first time, perhaps I might be wrong, that, that we've used the word generous so far in this oh, podcast. It might be. And I feel like that's a great a great alternative even to almsgiving or something like that if you're trying to creatively think about what this means for you so that you can talk about being generous with your finances or, as you said, reading generously or responding mm-hmm. on social media generously or um, just posturing yourself with generosity. I think generosity. seeing generosity as sort of the posture um, behind almsgiving is helpful for me to reframe it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know... It, yeah, it's so like easy to be overwhelmed and to not know what to do for the world. And so um, I have used the trellis of the prayers of the people in my own personal life. When I get to that mm. point of overwhelm and I'm like, well, you know, where, right. Where I don't, I don't know where to start. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah. so I think Dennis Bratcher does a really great job of explaining the prayers of the people. Um, and you can find that at cryvoice.org. Um, or if you Google prayers of the people, it'll pop up, crivoice.org. Um, you know, I think most evangelical traditions practice extemporaneous prayers, and most um, liturgical or, or more sacramental um, traditions practice mostly read prayers. And I think on either side, um, it's easy to have have a feeling that written prayers or planned prayers or read prayers Um, to kind of disdain those and think that they're less spiritual, that they're like too cold or formal and that it can't be authentic that way. And Mm, um, mm -hmm. Dennis points that out. And I think similarly, people um, with traditions of mostly written prayers um, think that it's not authentic to constantly just be spouting at whatever's the top of your head at the moment. Mm -hmm. Or a little more. Self oriented. Yeah. Perhaps. And so, what I have found for me is that a balance of the two, that using the trellis or framework of mm-hmm. the prayers of the people, and then also bringing in my experiences and the words that I actually use, um, that that balance of the two has been really helpful. Because um, I think, you know, anything mm, yeah. that we're doing over and over and over and over forms us. And so it's, I'm grateful to be formed in the long tradition of the church and to also be formed by Mm. the people and the language immediately around me. Yeah, I really like what you're saying, that the prayers of the people offers um, the trellis, the framework, calls us to pray for certain things. And also, oftentimes, um, sometimes in more liturgical churches, those prayers are spoken, but oftentimes they leave room for the congregation to respond uh, very extemporaneously mm-hmm. with their prayers, um, whether out loud or silently. And so I feel like it's a it's a good marriage between the two types of prayer. And I also like, as we go through each of them, you'll see that these prayers of the people, these touchstones, if you want to think of them that way, um, are constant throughout generations. Even you could think back to biblical times and what we pray will be changing. And so it's a little bit of both ancient um, as well as always changing, always modern, which feels feels like God mm-hmm. to me well too. Said. 
And the reason we want to start with this framework of prayers of the people for this conversation is we feel like it's a great place to not only see where we can pray, but also how that calls us to action as well. So how we can practice almsgiving, how we can practice generosity, etc. And so that's what we, uh, we're going to have a little brainstorming session here together about how we can not only pray, how that but prayer leads us to action. As we're talking about this week, yeah, leads us out as contemplation and action go. Our action being almsgiving. There we are. So the first uh, is Universal Church, the Greater Church, capital C, and its members and its mission. So obviously something we've touched base with and might be the first thing that comes to your mind is to give financially to your community, your home community, or your denomination. Um, something that is more of a spirit of generosity, not that that isn't a spirit of generosity, but something that doesn't involve money, I think, too, is welcoming visitors, having... Um, a stance of attentiveness, mm. which we've been talking about a lot, even just through the practice of prayer, engaging in um, spiritual practices, that I think you do have a posture, a stance of attentiveness. And so you're able to notice visitors, um, outsiders kind of on your community and welcome them in and spending time with them, I feel like is a great way to show and spread the love of the church and its mission, really, Absolutely. I feel. I think for a lot of us, too, that um, it's about volunteering. Um, and I actually, I'm hesitant to even mm-hmm. use that word because it immediately makes me cringe, personally, when people ask, like, would kind you of, like to volunteer? Yeah, it comes with obligation. Um, but I think rather, uh-huh. if you think of it as um, looking for opportunities to offer your energy, your experience, your mm-hmm. education, mm-hmm. or your expertise, that when you look at it through that yeah. lens... Um, it can be a little bit more life-giving rather than just looking for a place to volunteer because you just need some box to check off, um, but rather looking looking for what's a good fit yeah. and then committing to it. I also think it's helpful to consider what you appreciate your church doing well and then be a part of that, or conversely, um, what you wish your church did a better job of and then helping be a part of that. Um, but the main thing I, I want to mention is to really start with your energy and noticing that. Whether you have a lot of excitement Mm -hmm. and you're just ready to go, you have a million ideas spilling out of your head, so a lot of positive energy, start there. Go with that. And also, if you have a lot of negative energy, oh, this makes me Mm. crazy. Why can't we get our act together and do a better job of this? Or whatever it is that just Uh makes you furrow your brow. That's a cue. Start Uh there. Um, Yeah. But I think I think it's a different way of of looking at where yeah. where it might be a good fit for mm-hmm. you to plug in and serve your church. Mm-hmm. So what about the second one, the nation and all in authority? Well, definitely, I'm sure we have listeners from many nations, and so this might be different from country to country. Here in the U.S., uh, we are gearing up in the midst of a big season for voting, and so that um, isn't a uh, Number one way right now, it seems, that you can can give and you can um, consider what this kingdom work is um, and what your call is and how you can um, use your vote for that. And as you keep in mind, particularly those um, that Christ outlines with the Beatitudes who are in need, you can also, whether it's in the nation or this also applies to the world too, become educated on current issues, and um, with that, 
educate others. So give in that way um, by informing with generous, with a generous spirit um, what you have learned. And I think particularly I would want to highlight not just becoming educated on opinions, but more so educating on the needs of others, advocating And what real others. opportunities there are to meet those needs. Exactly. Exactly. Especially in the is season where the news is more crowded by, by voices um, with the electoral cycle rather than um, perhaps the deeper needs of the people, at least in mm-hmm. our country here. And uh, no matter whether it's in, in that realm or, as you said, the, the deeper needs um, and what we can do, consider how you can do your part, how you can not only pray. I think that's certainly if you see something on the news, read something in the newspaper, um, that might be your first response would be to pray. And that's an excellent Absolutely. response. But also, how, how can you take action, whether it is uh, giving money or um, or spreading the word, just uh, being the voice for the voiceless side? I guess world is next, which I kind of touched on a bit. Mm-hmm. What about world, Jen? What would you say? The welfare of the world. I think for me, I I really value action that is rooted in relationships, and that is a long-term partnership. Um, and so I know yeah. we personally have several families and organizations that we have um, been with them in seasons of growth and in seasons of turmoil. We have been with them in seasons of um, plenty in their ministry and work and in seasons of um, real heartbreak. And um, yeah, so for me, I think partnerships and relationships are a great a great thing to be looking toward rather than um, mm-hmm. kind of zooming in and zooming out. Um, where you don't really know what the longevity or the integrity of the work is and where you you may or may not actually be contributing to it. Um, yeah. Well, and I think that's how mission, when I'm thinking of in the world, that's how missions work is best done as well, long-term with partnerships and building relationships rather than, you know, and, that, and that's my tension with international mission, mission trips is, you know, dropping in, mm-hmm. dropping out, as you were saying, rather than having that long-term connection. What I have loved about some mission opportunities that I have been a part of in more recent years is that um, the same church or group, and for example, in the U.S., um, partners with someone in another part of the country or another part of the world, um, and that one church goes back over and over and over. Um, and yeah, that is I really like helpful. That. Um because that way, even mm-hmm. if the individual people on the trip don't have long-term relationships, there's opportunity for that yeah. um, to, to grow mm-hmm. and, and flourish. As you're thinking about how you might respond and act um, on behalf of the welfare of the world, um, making buying decisions with companies that are informed oh, yeah. by a desire to care for all of the people that work with them. Noonday Collection is mm-hmm. a really neat jewelry company based in Austin, Texas, um, but with partners worldwide. Um, you should check them out, absolutely. I also really like um, the idea of microloans, and that's something that I'm wanting to learn more about. I know that kiva.org is a really widely oh, yes. known We've done that before. microloan mm-hmm. organization, um, but that's something that I really am just at the beginning of learning more about. Um, and then another one that I heard about recently, um, which is similar, it's 
It's less of a charity-based model and more of an integrity-based opportunity model. But the SAMA group um, Mm. helps people lift themselves out of poverty through digital work. And so you could think of it as outsourcing, potentially. Um, But there are a number of ways to reframe that. But again, I'm just at the beginning of exploring what it means to partner with people for their good rather Mm -hmm. than, again, posturing myself in a place of condescension or, or the giver in every situation, um, how we could partner. And you can find more about that at samagroup.co. And as you're saying this and just knowing um, my experience uh, giving through Kiva and also my experience spending many months abroad in Uganda and seeing um, the work people are, are doing there, I feel like we're so used to just giving freely that you might think um, loans might not fit into this. But really, I feel like it's it's empowering. Absolutely. You're empowering people. That's that's the greatest gift. You're giving money for what they need. And by allowing them to pay it back to you, you're empowering them and helping them to, to advance in their own work in their Absolutely. own way um, based on their own needs, not what we might determine in our Western world. Those and I think there's a time be. and a place for both, right? I think there's a time and a place for giving Def- exactly. generously with yeah. open with open hands, um, not expecting anything mm-hmm. back. And then I think there's also a time and a place for um, a different kind of giving, like you might do through microloans yeah. or, for example, hiring people I agree. Um, to, do, to do work for yeah. you as they do um, in the SAMA group. And I know that you also um, wanted to talk about the earth. Well, yes, I should do my Seattle, my Seattle. Hey, I'm with you. I just let you, you. (laughs) you had it on your list, but it's not like I don't care. (laughs) Okay. Gin recycles is what she's saying. Um, but yes, this is a way that for all of us, no matter, you know, it's, it's a lot easier in Seattle because we do have recycling that comes and picks it. You're actually required by the recycling bin is free we have to pay for the trash (laughs) bin but the recycling so they try to and like you can't actually put food in your trash can anymore it's it's illegal or against the rules I don't know all that to say is it's easier in some places than others but still I know that's a common conversation the green conversation and it's a way that each of us can tomorrow choose to take action in a way that's going to give back to um I heard Someone referred to, you know, the earth as God's first revelation mm-hmm. uh, the other day. And it's, it's true. And so ways that we can give back to the earth and um, not only recycle then, but also reducing uh, not only your waste, but I, I think goes back to that stewardship conversation that you were, you were mentioning before, Jen. And, and of course, reusing. Um, and that's a way that we can, I think, show gratitude for what we do have and... Um, live in solidarity with others who might not have the ability to um, go and purchase something new whenever whenever they need it. Yes. So it's, yeah, it's even, it's the green thing, but it's even more you can use those words to apply to many other areas of your life that helps um, give back to the world and shift our perspective of the world, which I feel is a mm-hmm. gift too. So the, the fourth is the concerns of the local community. How do you engage with that? Well, as I've said before, um, homelessness is a big thing on my mind now and, of course, on Seattle's mind and learning about the homeless in your community and how you can give your time, money, and resources there. I think kind of along with you were saying being conscious of how you shop and the great opportunities that you can um, have to buy even Christmas gifts, for example, or birthday gifts from um, 
places overseas that are empowering. Uh, oftentimes it's women who are making beads or uh, things like that. Local artisans. You can uh, shop locally here. And so that's not only crafts that might be in your in your area, but I think farmer's markets is a big one. People that um, are wanting to make their living with integrity, and you can honor and support that as well. And, and not only that, but build relationships. I think that's one of my favorite things about visiting farmer's markets is finding your people, having them know your name, and, um, and knowing the earth through that as well, what's in season. And we already talked about giving to your church, but also I think there's that one piece you give to your church financially um, and in many other ways, but also then wondering about how your church can give to your local community. I think, at least in the churches I've been in growing up, we are very focused on missions work, et cetera. But um, sometimes that local community piece has been missing, and that reminds me of the parish model, which you, you, you hear maybe people refer to there if they're in a Catholic church or an Episcopalian church as a parish. But, um, you know, long ago, that parish model, it's you were, you're the community center, for, for the area. And so how can you serve the community um, without trying to convert necessarily, just through a spirit of generosity and let that be your, your message that you share? Mm-hmm. What about you, Jen? Yeah, I love, I love the model of a number of different businesses who build um, how they employ people and how they partner with people into the quality of their goods and better life bags, I think does Mm. a great job of this. Um, They say our mission is to hire women who have various barriers to employment to make our custom leather and fabric bags. So a lot of people who buy their bags buy it because they're cute or they're pretty or they're functional. They're all three. Um, But for other people, (laughs) um, they, you know, making a decision based on, um, how how they employ, and I, I really love I love that model which I mentioned before. Um, Grant and I are also planning to get certified as respite caregivers for foster families. So when you're fostering, um, you have to go through a long certification process um, to to be able to do that, and it's really difficult to, for example, go on a date night or um, a lot of things that families with biological children don't have to worry about, you need to have certified caregivers um, to to be a part of your foster family. Um, And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, we're we're also exploring foster care and adoption ourselves. I'm not sure um, where that path will lead, but I felt called to adopt Mm. since middle school. Um, And so we're discerning where, where our role in that is. Um, I also think we very intentionally chose the neighborhood that we live in. We live around a lot of need and we're in a city with a lot of need. And, you know, we have folks coming by several times a month, sometimes several times a week, um, asking if they can do yard work or uh, if we can help them with their electric bill. We have um, one woman that always just wants eggs. She always wants a couple of eggs. Hmm. And I have been so formed by living around need in a way that I would not if it was out of sight, yeah. out of mind. And mm-hmm. and so that's a conscious choice mm-hmm. for me. And at the same time, yeah. it is really, really difficult and um and comes with it comes with many <laughs> it comes with many other things. But um 
I think just yeah. being mindful that if you if you live in such a way that you never ever see need, um, there's a piece missing. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think similarly, if you live in a place where all you ever see is desperate, desperate need, you need a respite. You need a retreat. And um, yeah. my prayer for you mm. would be that that you know that you are not God, but that God has called you and will use you and that you um, Mm. feel confident to invite people into your work so that you can have the respite and the retreat that you need as well. So it's a good opportunity if you feel like all you see is need, um, that that that's also a missing piece because God has not created the kingdom in either place. Yeah, I think that's a good transition into this last one. To end, we've got section five and six, which we're going to talk about together. The first is those who suffer and those in any trouble. And then uh, the last one is the departed and also includes commemoration of a saint when appropriate. I know we've mentioned saints, feast days a bit here. Whenever I think about um, those who suffer and those in any trouble, and that kind of touches a bit on what you were just sharing, Jen, about Mm -hmm. those in your community. I feel like one could be offering to bring a meal to a neighbor or a community member who is grieving or recovering. Uh, One could be running errands for an elderly member in your community or seeing how you can help out around the house. So I kind of think now that things are getting a bit sunnier and warmer over here, help Mm -hmm. out in the garden. Reserve an emergency giving fund, and we both talked about how we like to do this, so you can give freely to those with urgent needs. And then I think also this comes um, back to just giving, not even just giving of our time, but I think giving of our presence, offering to be with others in their times of need. And so that might be attending a difficult appointment, doctor's appointment, helping with the funeral when um, there's not many around to help with that. Or even going to sit with people in yeah. in a season of depression or in a season of loneliness or... yeah. Um, Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It might just be going on a walk. Absolutely. Just, uh, yeah. Offering that presence, as you said. I have also been thinking a lot about how isolated my mother was. Um, and she was kind of the main caregiver for her parents in their last few years. Um, and we're right, we're right at the first anniversary of my grandmother's death, my mom's mom. And so I've been thinking a lot about the gift that she gave her parents, um, mm. But it was also really, really isolating for her to the extent she did not realize how isolating it was for her. Um, and, you know, even though my dad was on staff at a church at the time, they, they still felt pretty disconnected from the church because, you know, while all these different things are happening at the church that they want to be there for and even need to be there for, um, you know, people needed showers and needed to go to the bathroom and and could not be left alone and, and were confused and, and yeah. hurting and um, even making the decision to transition them when she could no longer physically care for them, um, to transition them to mm-hmm. a nursing home, that was a really, really difficult decision. And so I've been thinking um, about how I might be a respite for yeah. caregivers of the sick, the elderly, it's and like the a, dying. A chain of a chain of giving, mm-hmm. it seems. But it's hard, you know, it's hard. And, yeah. and I'm mm-hmm. still not really sure how to enter into that. 
Um, one community that I think does this mm. really beautifully and well that I have learned so much from is the L'Arche community. It's an international federation dedicated to the creation and growth of homes, programs, and support networks with people who have intellectual disabilities. Um, that's their formal tagline. But what the L'Arche community is, and there are homes all over the world that you can find out about on their website, people that no one else cares for, that don't have a place in their families of origin, that the church doesn't know how to help, that social services can only help to a certain extent. The L'Arche community is, is forming a home and a family around those people, and it is not a model of one-sided generosity, um, which I, I really appreciate. Um, but I'd encourage you, if you're not familiar, learn more from them directly. Um, it'll be better than anything I could tell you. Mm. Um, on, on the note about commemorating saints when it's appropriate as, as a part of um, our praying for and with the departed and responding in some faithful way, um, I actually... Hmm. subscribe to the Revised Common Lectionary on Google Calendar. And so every day, um, little notes pop up on my desktop telling me Hmm. what the saint days are and this, that, and the other thing. Um, That has been really helpful. And I just started that a couple of weeks ago. And as a saint will pop up, you know, then I Google what that saint is known for, mm-hmm. why they were, why they became a saint. Well, yeah, they're, and they're definitely known for their prayer and their action. Absolutely. And so here. even just looking at their life and thinking, okay, how might this call me to prayer and action, um, knowing about this person's life? Well, and I think even um, in the same way with the saints, the remembering the departed works with that too, as you, as you said, you were coming up on the anniversary of your grandmother's death or a birthday or something like that would invite you to remember that person and um, and their causes, what was near and dear to their heart and allow you to continue their work in the world, even though they're no longer with us. I love that. Mm-hmm. Saints themselves. Great cloud of witnesses. So for our benediction today, I'm just going to take us through the prayers of the people. We've talked through them a bit, but um, we're going we're gonna to read through them and pray through them together now. We're using Form 1 from the Book of Common Prayer, and if you've got your book open, you can find it on 383. But you can also find it at the BCP online, and there'll be a link in the show notes. Speaking of show notes, if you don't know where to find those, Lacey and I both share them in our newsletter. On Lacey's website, you can find it at sacredjourney.net slash podcast. In each of the episodes, you can link right there to her show notes. So as we're preparing to pray, I'll just say that... As I say, let us pray to the Lord, but I'll invite you to respond yourself in your car or in your house by saying, Lord, have mercy. Lacey will respond with me at those times. And then in between each phrase, I'll pause briefly because this is a podcast and it's a long episode at that, but we'd encourage you to pause it yourself wherever feels best or print it out Look it up in the book and work through it yourself at your own pace. So with all our heart and all our mind, let us pray to the Lord saying, Lord, have mercy. For the peace of the world, for the welfare of the Holy Church of God, 
and for the unity of all peoples, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For our bishop, or pastor, or denominational leaders, and for all the clergy and people, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For a president and for the leaders of the nations, for whomever the leader of your nation is, and for all in authority, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the city we live in, for me, that's Waco, for Lacey, Seattle, and for the city that you're in. For every city and community and for those who live in them, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the good earth which God has given us and for the wisdom and will to conserve it, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the aged and infirmed, for the widow and orphans, for the sick and the suffering, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the poor and the oppressed, for the unemployed and the destitute, for prisoners and captives, and for all who remember and care for them, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For all who have died in the hope of resurrection and for all who have departed, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For deliverance from all danger, violence, oppression, and degradation, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have have mercy. In the communion of this tribe and of all the saints, let us commend ourselves and one another and all our life to Christ our God. Amen. Amen. How do you give? Has our conversation inspired new and creative ways to give? Let us know in the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Sacred Ordinary Days Tribe or on social media using the hashtag Sacred Ordinary Days. You'll hear from us again on Wednesday, March 23rd, in the final days before Easter as we discuss Holy Week. To follow along, subscribe to the Sacred Ordinary Days podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to register for the webinar to practice the examine with us and learn more about the retreat. Learn more about these webinars at sacredordinarydays.com and at a sacredjourney.net. Thank you.